You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the You Are Not Broken podcast. I am your host, board-certified urologist. Dr. Kelly Casperson. I'm so glad you're here. I am wishing you all a happy holidays and a happy new year. This is coming out on New Year's Eve 2023. So happy new year 2024. I'm like thinking about New Year's resolutions and where I want to take the podcast and what I want to do with the membership and like all the things that I'm like my 2024 menopause sex ed wish list would include over-the-counter vaginal estrogen, FDA-approved female testosterone. What else? Um, Physicians get comprehensive education in hormones, including endocrinologists who are like the hormone experts who in my town won't even see any sex hormone issues, sex hormones being testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, Um, all the things. Oh, that that the internet would stop selling balance your hormone crap. I hate the term balance your hormones. You literally are unbalanced when you're ovulating because it has to go up and down and up and down to have periods and get pregnant. And then when you're postmenopause, your hormones are literally just flatlined once they get there, right? But until then, they go up and down and up and down and up and down to get flatlined. So balancing hormones is a pet peeve of mine. Um, There, so that's the start of my podcast. Today, here's the plan. Number one, I'm going to give you some updates on things. Number two, I'm going to answer an amazing question that came in from a listener that was just too good to not include in the podcast because usually when you guys ask questions, everybody needs to know the answers. Thank you to my amazing editor who has been with me pretty much this whole time. The podcast today, today's episode, which is going to be 244 is the four-year birthday of this podcast. I can't believe that. Like, I have not missed a week, you guys. But more than that, I have not quit, (laughs) which is probably more impressive than me not missing a week. Because, like, once I commit to it, I was like, should I take this week off? Like, it's the holidays, and people don't listen anyways in the holidays, and should I take it? And I'm like, no, I don't take a week off. So more impressive that I didn't... that. More impressive than not taking a week off is going for four straight years every single week. So happy four-year birthday to my podcast baby. I love this. This is the big news starting today is you guys, you won't even notice this. I'm just sharing this with you. I was, so I'm meeting with the podcast people, learning about the podcast industry, and I was talking with somebody at Spotify and uh who's like done a huge huge podcast and she's like um if your goal is more eyeballs on this podcast you should get out of the sexuality category and get into another category under health and fitness and i'm like i know but i just hit like number one on sexuality it was like literally the day this is how the universe works the day that i hit number one on sexuality on health and fitness which is, which is hard to do, um, was the day that the universe gave me the Spotify lady who said, you should switch out of the sexuality category. I was like, just when you get to the top, the pond is now too small and you need to go into a bigger pond. And listen, here's the thing. Not that I need to justify this to you, but 
people aren't searching for the information that I'm giving out. People aren't like, my sex life is bad. Let me go into the sexuality category. My hormones are crazy. My midlife sucks. I hate my partner. My partner won't sleep with me. Whatever they're, estrogen gives you breast cancer, which it doesn't if you're new here, doesn't. But like, people aren't like, maybe I should search in the sexuality category on Apple to answer these questions. Because in the sexuality category, there's a lot of uh, audio erotica, sexual how-tos, how to get your freak on, how to be a little more freaky than you already are. Like, no judgment in that game. It's just not actually what this podcast is about, if you know what this podcast is about. It's about your life, living it to the best, and sexuality. Sexuality being a key component of a healthy midlife. But not like I'm going to have somebody on, I have somebody on to, you know, we got life coaching. I got somebody on to talk about your bone health. I've got somebody coming on talking about cardiac health. I've got somebody coming on talking about our skin. Because like, if you want to break the internet, tell Instagram that you put estrogen on your face. They fucking freak out. Like, I say I say stuff like alcohol causes cancer. Nobody nobody really freaks out about that, which is amazing that everybody uses alcohol and like doesn't care that that's a fact. And that I'm like, yeah, I compound estradiol, estriol, put it on my face, and like the internet breaks. People get in fights. <laughs> so, uh, point being, this podcast is more than sexuality. I want to talk to you about estriol on my face because you guys care. Healthcare industry is huge. We care about our skin long tangent to say this podcast is being moved out of the sexuality category and into the medicine category which there's a lot of big fish it's a much bigger pond get to the top of the small pond jump to the big ass pond because here's the dream if anybody's listening that can help me manifest this this amazing podcast could not happen without the support of our sponsors one sponsor i'm so excited about is uberlube i've been using uberlube and recommending them for years I give away lube packets in my clinic. Adding lube with intimacy is a no-brainer. And a good silicone lube shows that when you play, you mean business. Uberlube is long-lasting, super slippery, and doesn't have any of that sticky tackiness of the water-based lubes. I find it's great for dry skin, especially skin affected by hormone changes. It's so clean and useful that people use it for their hair and to prevent chafing with sporting activities too. Next time you reach for the lube, reach for Uberlube. Check out the link in the bio with 10% off Enter the code NOTBROKEN at uberlube.com. Text me, email me, find me on Instagram. Just effing manifest it for me. In the top 10 in health and fitness on any given day, in the top 10 podcasts on Apple Health and Fitness, there is not a female podcaster. There needs to be one. Why not me? I need to get in there. So putting myself in the medicine category, hopefully is going to get more eyeballs on the project to get more eyeballs to get into the top 10 of health and fitness because females need to represent get us there and all you males listening to this too like you're listening because it's important to your life get us there so i'm coming for you huberman lab i'm coming for you peter atia i'm coming for you i can't think of anybody else in the top 10 of health and fitness on on apple uh but i can tell you every single time i look i'm like who's the who's the lady who's the lady um there isn't one so that's the goal. That's the big audacious goal for the You Are Not Broken podcast. Women need evidence-based, science-backed health information, including and not limited to your sexuality. So here we are. All right. That is our 2024 
manifestation. On to the other news in 2024. My retreat, March 22nd through 25th. Go to ascendretreats.com. It is in Sedona. I literally manifested this. It is going to be half body work, mind work, coaching, personal empowerment. What freaking big life do you want to lead? How I did it, how I live the life that I created for myself now uh, based upon my rules, my values, my priorities. So it's half of that. And then it's half of hormone educations, adult sex ed, being comfortable with your sexuality, for the healthcare providers that are coming, how to prescribe hormones. We're going to pack that in two, three days. But the fun doesn't stop there, my friends. Um, in January and February coming, like going up to the retreat, so starting like in two weeks, probably. I haven't set the dates yet. I'm going to do some live group coaching, education, whatever it looks like. So you're going to get extra hours with me headed into the retreat. So I haven't even told my retreat planner that yet. I'm literally making this stuff up. But I want to, there's, this is, this retreat's for 20 people. I want to know you. I want to help you. What are your problems? How can I help? I will get you there. This is all about you. So ascendretreats.com. The other thing, if you sign up for the retreat, you get a lifetime membership to my monthly membership. And the coolest thing about the monthly membership is you're currently watching this podcast live on the private Facebook group that is the monthly membership. So free for retreat joiners. Um, tons of video on hormones, education, body health, sexuality, all the things. And then a private podcast for ad-free listening as soon as I get the podcast done. So I post in I post in that private Facebook group probably daily because I do I do, we do a fitness accountability in there. So it's called Sex, Health, and Hormones. That's the name of the monthly membership. But it is tons of fitness accountability because fitness, fitness for me was what really started this whole mind work of like, you have to change your mind to change your life. You have to change your thoughts to change your life. You can't just like decide to have a fitter body without working on changing your mind because all of your limiting beliefs will keep you exactly where you are. Whether this is your career, your sex life, your fitness, your priorities, your free time, your time scarcity, all the things. So that is why fitness accountability is, I've been doing fitness accountability with some of these people in this group for four years at this point. Fitness accountability, the sweaty selfies in the morning literally changed my life. So I think it can change your life too. Um, because if you know that you got to show up and do your workout because there's other people in the group who are showing up and doing their workout. And workout can mean anything. It can mean a spin class, yoga class, meditation, a walk with your dog, whatever. But you are posting that you are accountable to your health in this group and it is fun. So sign up for the retreat. You get the membership for life for free, which is amazing. That's $600 a year value. Um, number three, if you're listening to this podcast, like right when it comes out, if you haven't gotten my book yet, you are not broken. Stop shooting all over your sex life. Get it? Because it's going away. I don't know what to officially call this because I reached out to my publisher like yesterday. I'm like, what are we calling this? Are we calling this a uh, republication? Are we calling this a second edition? I don't know. But the book is coming down off the internet. You cannot get it for about six months. I don't know the date for summer 2024 when the book again will be relaunched. Um, 
by a bigger publisher who's going to start this thing going international. And that's going to be so fun because it's going to be like my baby having a rebirth. The, the book baby, not just the podcast baby. Um, so the book is going away like January 1st. So get the book if you want the book because then it's going away. How's that for FOMO? You literally cannot buy this for about six months afterwards. All right. So here is to January 1st. Last year, January 4th, 2023, I had a million total podcast downloads. I have 900,000 more listens this year. Uh, so I'm right about, right under, I'm 100,000 under 2 million in one year, which is amazing. Hundred, uh, Almost a million listens in a year. I've over, over doubled, almost tripled my Instagram account. Um, I'm just going to manifest this. I have never been on Twitter. I never plan on being on Twitter slash X. And um, there are some people who want me to get on back on TikTok. I did not love it. I don't think I'm going there. I was like doubling down on books, podcasts, and Instagram. I throw stuff on YouTube sometimes, but like that is not big. Anyways, find me in the places that I like. <laughs> That's where I'm going to be. All right, let's do questions and answer for this amazing uh, question that came in. I'll talk about it. Okay, my wife and I are both 71. We've been married 47 years. Congratulations. For many years, intercourse has been painful for my wife. Vaginal creams have helped at times, but not always. I question what vaginal creams mean. Does that mean estrogen? Does that mean lubes? I don't know what that means. You got to be specific when you type in these questions. I'm not sure how regularly she has used them. Well, fair enough. There's a separate issue. My favorite saying about vaginal estrogen is via Rachel Rubin. It will not work if you don't use them. When I've suggested there are therapies that could help, she says her physicians and gynecologists have told her that it's just the way it is at our age. Not true. This is not how it is. You guys, I have people in their mid-80s having the best sex of their lives. And I tell you that so that you we, we re-normalize what aging and sexuality is. If you do not want to have sex, I am not here to make you have sex. But I am here to redefine the narrative, reorient the narrative that the 18-year-olds are not having the best sex. The 50-year-olds are. The 84-year-olds are. Because they've prioritized sex for them and it's effing amazing for them. Okay, so... Not true. What your physicians and gynecologists are telling her is not true. This is not just how it is. At her. Well, I'll be a little more nuanced. This is how untreated menopause is for many, many people. And it is not true that you're over menopause. There's no over menopause. We need to redefine that too. Menopause is a day, a day in your life where you haven't had natural periods for a year. That's your day of menopause. Then you're in menopause, post-menopause, over-menopause, po whatever menopause for every day after. But for a 71-year-old to think that like you're not dealing with menopause because it's over, that's not a thing. You are actively dealing with menopause, which is an estrogen of zero. This man who wrote in, who's 71, has more estrogen in his body. Men have estrogen levels around 30 to 40 by American lab values. She probably has an estrogen of four, right? So he, had, he probably has 10 times the amount of estrogen, which is important for sex drive, bone health, all the other things in men. Estrogen is important for bone health and sex drive in men. I've completely gone on a tangent. Let me reorient to this question. Okay. 
I've listened to a number of your podcasts and heard your message that sex should not be painful. Great. Yes. That's what I said. Sex should not be painful. Um, I've also heard you talk about hormone replacement therapy and the need to begin it within 10 years of menopause. That's systemic hormone therapy. Listen to more of my podcasts. Systemic hormone therapy. Vaginal estrogen therapy can be started at any time, including when you're 93. Okay, so these are the questions. Number one, are we too old for any therapy to work? No, vaginal estrogen now. If I saw this person in my clinic, I would be doing an exam, seeing what her skin looks like, seeing if it looks low estrogen, thin, tight, painful when touched. It's our very classic genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Of course you don't want to have sex when your skin is doing that. Um, so vaginal estrogen therapy, creams, rings, tabs. I don't like the tabs because I believe a cream in the vulva, because especially at that six o'clock entrance, to the vulva can get very tight with intimacy. And I think a tab of vaginal estrogen up in your vagina doesn't help that. Um, or vaginal DHEA, Prasterone or Intrarosa is the brand name, FDA approved for painful intercourse. Medicare sucks with it. It's expensive. You can also get it compounded. You can also take oral DHEA and put it in your vagina. I have not seen studies on this. Believe me, I have looked. Um, and that, again, that is off-label, but cheap. Uh, vaginal DHEA, again, converting into testosterone and estrogen and um, helping out the tissue down there. Why does the tissue suck? Tissue sucks because you have no hormones. Let's normalize this. So number one, are we too old for any therapy to work? No. Number two, should estrogen creams or hormone replacement therapy work for someone 71 years old? Yes, absolutely. Uh, estrogen cream is hormone replacement therapy. It's just not systemic hormone replacement therapy. We're not talking about systemic in her. Um, systemic doesn't really help a lot of people with GSM. And it's kind of like, why, do you, why does your whole body need hormones if we're just trying to work on the skin and painful intercourse? Plus, if you're 10 years post-menopause uh, and your risks are higher, systemic might not actually be the safest. But vaginal estrogen or what we call local estrogen therapy, quite safe. Number three, what about pelvic floor therapy? Yes, 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 yes. Um, when our skin hurts or in intercourse is painful, our muscles get tight as a defense mechanism to try to protect us. Sub this is all subconsciously, my friends. Um, so pelvic floor physical therapy to figure out vibrations. Is your hip tight? Are your Is your lower back tight? Do you have a tight psoas muscle? All the things that could, I had this one woman she came to see me for anorgasmia and pain with sex. It turns out she had this hip issue. So it wasn't like so much the pain with sex. It was like the hip position she was in when she was trying to have penetrative intercourse. She figured that out with the physical therapist, got some positions that were better, got her a vibrator. She's having orgasms. We got her hormones situated. She is freaking happy. So success stories all around me. Um, so pelvic physical therapy. Yes, absolutely. Three-legged stool of pain with sex. Number one, pelvic hormones. Number two, pelvic floor physical therapy for the muscles. Number three, sex therapist for the cognitive behavioral avoidance, awkwardness, associating pain with sex for the, all the, the brain stuff. Number four, is there anything else you can recommend? Yeah, that's what I said. Sex therapy. Um, not all therapists are good in talking about sex, but really... There's always shit there, you guys. Like, how did you get taught 
about sex? How do you approach sex? Is sex just for your partner? Why do you, why are you avoiding sex? How can you get back into sex that isn't just painful, penetrative intercourse? All those things. So sex therapists are awesome. How do we find physicians or ther therapists in our area that should be aware of the possibilities you describe? Great question. So Number one, um, ASECT, A-A-A-S-E-C-T, is the American Association for the Clinical Sex Therapists, ASECT.org, I believe, for sex therapists. Um, and then Herman and Wallace is a great pelvic floor physical therapy. Uh, you just type in your zip code. Um, so pelvic floor PT specifically, I always tell my women, you don't want some guy who wishes you had a shoulder problem. <laughs> like, that's not what you want. You want somebody who's like, oh, yeah, you have pain with sex too, you and all the people. We, we got you. And then number three, as far as vaginal hormones, um, hopefully all of the menopause certified people, but again, there's a lot of people on the menopause.org site that don't do hormones. So I'm not totally convinced the menopause society can help with that. You can try them in your area um, and then bring them my podcast episodes on vaginal estrogen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or number two, Two would be ishwish.org, find a provider. Ishwish is International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health.org, find a provider. Um, because they're cool because they the Ishwish people tend to deal with hormones and sex, so they're very good with the vaginal estrogen thing. Other options for vaginal estrogen, if you just have nobody in your town, is um, uh, my alloy will give you vaginal estrogen. Evernow will give you vaginal estrogen. And then interlude. Oh my God. Totally spaced. Uh, get interlude. Interlude is another online company specifically for vaginal estrogen and they are awesome. All right, you guys, that was a great question. And I, I know a lot of people have adjacent questions to that one. So I'm super happy to answer that. Okay, back by popular demand is my behind the paywall work. This paywall article is effing amazing. It needs to be in the Wall Street Journal. It needs to be in the Wall Street. Why does it need to be in the Wall Street Journal? Because everything is in the New York Times. And I just feel like we need this. We need the equal and opposite audience. So that's why I'm manifesting Wall Street Journal. So this article is called, I'm just putting it up, but it's a podcast. You can't read this. All right. So um, Menopause, the Journal of the Menopause Society. And I don't actually have the month on here because I got this prior to printing. So it's 2023 for sure. But you can Google it. The authors are Avram Blooming, Howard Hodes, and Robert Langer, all uh, medical physicians. As you know, unless you're new here, welcome. Uh, Avram Blooming is one of my favorite people in analyzing data, the complexity of data. Um, and this one's, this is article is called Personal Perspective, Tis But a Scratch, a critical review of the Women's Health Initiative Evidence Associating Menopause Hormone Therapy with the Risk of Breast Cancer. This is my manifestation of 2024. We are done being afraid of estrogen. We are done being afraid of estrogen. There's literally zero, zero out of uh, zero people, zero people think that estrogen causes breast cancer anymore, except for your fucking aunt Susie, right? Um, who just doesn't know. But of all the educated people, there are zero out of zero people who think that estrogen causes breast cancer. 
Um, so that myth needs to die, and the year that it's going to die is 2024. If that's news to you, I've got 243 other podcast episodes for you to listen to, so enjoy. Uh, catch up, estrogen does not cause breast cancer. So the hang-up was the progestin arm. Progestin is another word for progesterone, is a type of progestin. Um, these are compounds that protect the lining. They help in pregnancy. They help us sleep. Again, refer to all the other podcast episodes. But the argument was, fine, fine, fine. Estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. It's the medroxyprogesterone acetate, also known as non-bioidentical or synthetic progestin used in the Women's Health Initiative that when published uh, in print 2002, so 21 years ago, people were like, okay, the estrogen arm didn't have increased risk of breast cancer. That's not even enough. The estrogen arm had decreased risk of breast cancer and 40% decreased risk of dying from breast cancer. If you are, this is what I tell my ladies when they come in. I say, because they're, they're, you know, they're still worried about estrogen causing breast cancer because they haven't gotten the memo that 2024 is the year that estrogen causing breast cancer dies. But I say, listen, breast cancer is common. It might happen to you. Especially might happen to you if it happened to a, a first degree relative but it's not because you decided to be on hormones. And if you are on hormones and you get breast cancer, you do better than your compatriot who got breast cancer who wasn't on hormones. Women who get breast cancer who've been on hormones do better than the people who get the breast cancer not on hormones. So why we're not touting estrogen as something that decreases your overall risk of breast cancer, why is it not FDA approved for that? right? And furthermore, drinking alcohol causes breast cancer. So why is any woman drinking at this end at this point? But that's right. I get radical when I'm like, you shouldn't be drinking and uh, estriol face cream. <laughs> estriol face cream, no alcohol. What work out as much as you can. So the Women's Health Initiative data, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of this for verbatim. Uh, because this is behind a firewall. Um, and so they start with some historical perspective. For more than 21 years, criticism of the Women's Health Initiative, or WHI's finding, initially reported in a press conference on July 8, 2002, and released in print July 17, 2002, has mounted. Although the w Women's Health Initiative investigators have walked back almost all of the initial negative claims that generated international alarm, people still say that combination estrogen and progestin, and these were the non-bioidentical, they were the only medications used in the Women's Health Initiative, which isn't even standard of care for hormone replacement therapy anymore. Current standard of care is bioidentical, but Women's Health Initiative used conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate. So they said that that increased uh, breast cancer risk. So let's get into it. The first claim, so go back to 2002, that arm of the Women's Health Initiative study was stopped early. The estrogen progestin arm was stopped early. The 2002 claims of breast cancer risks were based on um, the nominal and a nominal unadjusted hazard ratio of 1.26 for breast cancer among participants randomized to 
conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate, which almost reached nominal statistical significance. The other way of saying this is it didn't reach statistical significance. Remember, well, a hazard ratio of 1.26 means a 26% increased risk of breast cancer, which was not statistically significant. So that's very important. You can just look at a bunch of data, and if it's not statistically significant, you can't say it is more than chance that it just happened to turn out that way, right? So not statistically significant, but they published it as almost reached statistical significance by a 26% increase. So that's what basically the media exploded with. So when you adjust it, and remember, the Women's Health Initiative was not randomized for health risks, risks of breast cancer, anything like that. Um, and so when these two groups were not even randomized to it, you have to adjust for like age, you know, smoking, obesity, all these things that we know increase risk of breast cancer, right? So when they did a per, per protocol adjustment for multiple outcomes and multiple looks at the data, they found that... Um, there was no confidence, the, the confidence interval passed one. So basically there's, it's not statistically significant. And then there was a 2003 article that also focused on the combination of estrogen plus progestin. Again, remember, I didn't say this earlier, and I never want to assume you guys know this. If you have a uterus and you take hormone replacement therapy, also known as menopause hormone therapy, you have to take both an estrogen and a progestin to protect the lining of the uterus because unopposed estrogen does increase your risk of uterine cancer by 5 to 10%. It doesn't mean it causes uterine cancer in everybody. It means it increases your risk over baseline by 5 to 10%. I think that is often not explained well to people. Um, okay, so when they adjusted that um, data, again, it was not statistically significant. The Women's Health Initiative protocol mandated multivariate adjusted analyses for secondary outcomes. Breast cancer in the hormone therapy trials was in this category. An analysis with adjustment for breast cancer risk factors, including age, ethnicity, body mass index, physical activity, smoking, alcohol use, parity, age at first birth, oral contraceptive use, family history of breast cancer, and mammography use was published in 2006. With that per-protocol adjustment, the association between conjugated equine estrogen and progesterone and breast cancer was not statistically significant. These results indicate that the difference between conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate and the placebo group was due to an imbalance of baseline risk factors. Again, because these studies were not created to make groups that were equal in their risks for breast cancer. So when you go back and you look for your risks of breast cancer, you have to do all the statistical analysis to kind of weed out that all these different variables isn't what just showed an increase because your two groups weren't matched for your baseline risk of breast cancer. In all instances where the Women's Health Initiative has reported adjustment for sequential monitoring, multiple outcomes, or risk factors, the results for an association between the estrogen progesterone and breast cancer have not been statistically significant. Boom. Now you know. So it says as early as 2004, people observed that 
the Women's Health Initiative estrogen progesterone risk was a misinterpretation of the data. The trend towards a difference was not caused by a higher rate of breast cancer in the hormone therapy group, but by a lower rate in the placebo group. This is very important. So they said they examined the incidence of breast cancer in four subgroups defined by prior or no prior use of hormone therapy and the assignment to the estrogen, progesterone, or placebo group. So hash that out into the four different groups, right? The risk of breast cancer was the same in three of those four groups. Women with no prior hormone use and randomized to placebo. Women with no prior hormone use randomized to estrogen, progesterone. And women with prior hormone use randomized to estrogen, progesterone. The only group with a different incidence rate was the women with prior hormone therapy use randomized to placebo. What this means is that placebo group had such a freaking low chance or, or outcome of breast cancer that like it was abnormal compared to everybody else. This subgroup had a very low incidence of breast cancer, lower than that of the general population. Right. So all the other groups were like, this is what the population shows. Also, that placebo group was so low, basically creating that false narrative that the estrogen progesterone people had a higher risk of breast cancer compared to the placebo, which was like so low. Even the general population had a higher rate. Being in the general population had a higher rate of breast cancer than this placebo group. They, they, the authors say something cool here to illustrate how unusual this low risk of breast cancer was. The comparable control arm of women assigned to continue usual diet in the Women's Health Initiative diet modification trial had an 80% higher breast cancer incidence did the, than did the placebo arm in the estrogen uh, progesterone trial. Furthermore, when women who used hormone therapy before joining the estrogen progesterone trial were eliminated from the analyses, mirroring the experience for most women starting hormone therapy during perimenopause, the remarkably low incidence of breast cancer observed in the placebo group returned to its expected incidence and the increased hazard ratio disappeared. So basically that placebo group was effed up. Effed up so to have such an artificially low risk of breast cancer that it threw off the treatment arm, making it look like the treatment arm had more breast cancer or, or that the, the treatment arm caused the breast cancer, which is what the media exploded with. The key point is that any explanation for the low incidence rate in the placebo group is irrelevant. Basically, they're like, we, don't, we can't say why this placebo group was so low. Whether due to prior hormone therapy use, unequivocal covariates, or anything else does not change the fact that the remarkably low incidence rate in the placebo group elevated the hazard ratio, which the Women's Health Initiative misleadingly interprets as an increased breast cancer risk. It says, moreover, if the estrogen progesterone arm really did increase breast cancer risk, the incidence of breast cancer should be greater among the women who were adherent. So in any clinical trial, there's some people who are in the treatment arm who like just don't take their pills because that's what humans do, right? So they actually studied the women who are at least 80% adherent um, compared to the women who were still in that treatment arm but weren't that adherent and there was no increased risk of breast cancer comparing those two groups. So they said that some people still defend their claim that conjugated equine estrogen and medoxyprogesterone acetate um, 
causes increased breast cancer risk by citing a report of decreased incidence of breast cancer observed shortly after the trial was halted in 2002. They immediately attributed this decline to the nationwide decrease in hormone therapy. And, and the authors go on to debunk this. First, this is implausible because of the previously noted long lag time between initiation of a breast cancer and growth to a clinically detectable size. What this means is most people's breast cancer has been around for years in their body prior to them actually detecting it. And in addition, their, the own, their own data showed a continuous increase in breast cancer rates among the study's women who stopped taking the hormones. So they said that, that breast cancer went down after they stopped the hormones. But in the people who, people who were taking estrogen progesterone, who stopped taking the estrogen progesterone, their breast cancer rates actually went up. And it says, moreover, according to the Center for Disease Control statistics, the decline in breast cancer incidence was evident as early as 1999 in the United States, three years prior to the release of the Women's Health Initiative results. The decline was reported among white but not black women, and there was no decline in breast cancer rates in many Western countries that also experienced dramatic declines in hormone therapy prescriptions, such as Austria, Belgium, Denmark, England, Finland, Germany, Ireland, Israel, the Netherlands, Norway, Scotland, Sweden, and Switzerland. So all of these countries also went down on their hormone use because of the Women's Health Initiative, basically, but um, there was no decrease in their breast cancer incidence. And they said now, actually, so the Women's Health Initiative was like, look at how many lives we saved because we've made breast cancer go down because we got everybody off the hormones. And they're like, no, actually, breast cancer incidence rates in the United States have increased by roughly 0.5% annually since the premature termination of the Women's Health Initiative estrogen progesterone trial in 2002, even though hormone therapy has remained low. So breast cancer incidence has gone up by half a percentage point yearly since 2002 and only about 10 percent of women are actually on hormones compared to before the women's health initiative when it depends upon what study you read 40 to 70 percent of people were on hormones their other point they just put they have so many different like arguments so that you can fight with your aunt susie about <laughs> the actual data but before all the women's health initiative hoopla before like tamoxifen tamoxifen is a breast cancer drug we actually have studies that medroxyprogesterone acetate is as effective as tamoxifen in treating breast cancer there is just more side effects in the uh high and this is high dose progesterone arm compared to tamoxifen so that's why it's not used as much dr blooming talks about that i believe in my episode with dr blooming which was done this summer so go back and listen to it that episode is called estrogen matters Basically, they're, they're talking about like how the Women's Health Initiative is like, look at all the lives we've saved because we got women off their hormones. And there's actually multiple papers. I need to do a podcast on this. There's multiple papers that says data has shown that the fear generated by the Women's Health Initiative has actually increased mortality, especially among hysterectomized women, denied estrogen treatment, and older women dying of heart disease and hip fracture, and has also increased healthcare spending, which is what I've always said. You know, I did this Instagram saying like women are so anti-medication but actually being on hormones probably makes you take less other prescription medications because you have less rates of heart disease less rates of colon cancer less rates of osteoporosis less rates of musculoskeletal complaints so probably less pain meds 
so, so interesting. All right, so it says, in sum, findings generated by the Women's Health Initiative to date warrant the following conclusions. Conjugated estrogen alone significantly reduces breast cancer risk and breast cancer mortality. That is inarguable now. Estrogen plus progesterone when initiated in, in hormone therapy naive women does not increase breast cancer risk and does not increase breast cancer mortality, even for women with a family history of breast cancer. Family his Side note, family history of breast cancer is not a contraindication for you taking hormones. That needs to die. 2024, that needs to die. Even if, do you guys, breast cancer is so incredibly common. Who doesn't have a family history of breast cancer? Multiple people, but it's still very, very common. Um, even if the Women's Health Initiative estimate of an increased risk of breast cancer is accepted based on the elevated hazard ratio, the results driven solely by a low incidence of breast cancer in the placebo group would be responsible. So they're basically, they're saying, let's say, let's just say, let's just argue that estrogen plus progesterone increases your risk of breast cancer. Let's just say that. What is that increase? It is one incidence of non-fatal breast cancer for every 1,000 women treated with hormones, which we know decreases the risk of heart disease, probably decreases the risk of dementia in young people, decreases the risk of colon cancer, decreases the risk of osteoporosis, decreases the risk of musculoskeletal uh, aches and pains. So. That is like that is my overreaching. I'm like writing a writing a book on this right now. My overreaching thing is like, let's just say it increases your risk of breast. Let's just say that, which I just spent this freaking half a podcast saying it doesn't. But let's just say it increases your risk of breast cancer. Number one, it's a non-fatal breast cancer because um, it's a low, it's a non-aggressive breast cancer, and. One additional non-fatal breast cancer diagnosis for every 1,000 women treated with hormone therapy. That is low risk. It's actually, that's actually statistically considered uh, very low risk when you quantify what risk means. Less than 1 in 1,000 is considered a very low risk risk. I think that's National Institute of Health. Somebody defined what, like, how, how low is a low risk? One out of 1,000 is considered very low risk. And acceptable because you've got 909 you've got 999 other women who are receiving benefit from the treatment but i digress because we know it doesn't cause cancer but if it did that would be what that data showed okay if the whi had transparently reported their breast cancer findings in 2002 emphasizing among other things lack of statistical significance in breast cancer risk in the per protocol adjusted statistic had quickly followed up by publishing a per protocol analysis adjusting for baseline breast cancer risk factors and reminded the public that their findings did not apply to women initiating hormone therapy in perimenopause or early postmenopause there would have been minimal controversy no confusion, and women's health would not have suffered so dramatically over the ensuing decades. I love you guys so much. Here's to 2024. Keep fighting the big fight. I'm here for you. Until next week, remember, you are not broken. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of You Are Not Broken. If you want to dig deeper with me, sign up for my adult sex education masterclass where you learn adult things like communication skills, anatomy lessons, and desire types, and how to talk to your doctor about sexual health concerns. If you want the adult sex education masterclass for free, join my monthly membership for more in-depth exclusive content, more time with yours truly, 
a private podcast, coaching, and educational empowerment. And you can watch my interviews live and get them immediately without advertising. Head over to www.kellycaspersonmd.com for the membership and adult sex ed masterclass. Members get the masterclass for free. This podcast is presented solely for educational, entertainment, and informational purposes only. I am a doctor, but not your doctor in this format. And all of my platforms and guests, including on this podcast, are not giving individual medical advice or practicing medicine. See and consult with your own care team for your individual needs and concerns. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for the care and advice of a physician, therapist, or other qualified professional. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, in case you were curious about that, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. But I still love you. Using the information on this podcast or any of my platforms is at your own risk. Until next time, remember, you are not broken.